Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning and welcome to Awaken, friends. Uh, as one of the pastors here in this little community, I want to extend uh, a special welcome to you. So glad that you're with us. Uh, I hope that despite whatever challenges you might be facing in your world, that you remain steadfast and committed to participating in the kingdom of God, which is available to us here and now uh, in this moment and whatever, uh, whatever moments that follow. So welcome to you. Uh, to those that maybe missed uh, our first ever virtual gathering on Sunday, um, I don't want to say you missed out, but you may have missed out. Uh, it was a ton of fun. It was so, so great to see people's faces and to hear voices and just to be with one another in a, in a new way. Uh, so if you, if you weren't able to make it, uh, we're going to do it again. So this will be the, uh, the fourth Sunday of the month, uh, a new rhythm that we're starting this fall. And so we'll do it again in October. Hopefully you can make it. And a huge thanks to all the people who helped pull this off. Uh, there were a bunch of people behind the scenes um, pushing buttons and levers and the folks who led breakout groups. Uh, just so grateful to everybody who made it happen. So um, join us next I don't even know what the date is, so fourth Sunday in October. Um, but before uh, Dan leads us in song, um, maybe just, if I may, take a moment to pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. So pray with me. God, we're grateful for this day and the opportunity to be together, and I pray over the next uh, hour or so that your spirit would be present in very real, uh, in very real ways that we sense and feel and experience. Um, move us, challenge us, encourage us, invite us, uh, to become more and more the people that you've uh, that you envision, uh, the the kind of church that you see in the world that is um, following Jesus and um, demonstrating and announcing this new way of life that you make possible through your resurrection. So we give you thanks and um, pray that your Spirit would be with us in our time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's sing together. Shalom, shalom. 
Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring 
we could ever breathe We live for you community director for those of you who are new. I love getting to have this time to talk to the kids um, briefly before Micah comes up. So 
I want to second what Micah said. Yesterday, or sorry, Sunday was awesome having our Zoom meeting um, and getting to see all of your faces. And I got the privilege of leading the kids' breakout room, which was too sweet. It was, it was awesome. I'm looking forward to next month already where we get to be together again. That was a really cool time. And I actually got a double whammy. I got to see a lot of you in the afternoon as well when you came to pick up your church in a box. They are done. And it was so fun to hand them out. And some of you might be wondering, what is this church in a box you keep going on about? Um, it has been a few weeks of, that feels like I'm living to make this church in a box. But it is done. And our theme this month, the hope is to make one of these each month for our families. It kind of came from, obviously, our time of being apart. But I feel very passionate about families having conversations around faith and um, being a part of your kids' faith journey. And what better way to do that than to bring church home and you get to be the teacher. Parents and caregivers get to be the teacher. And you also get to learn from your kids because you get to experience a little bit about of what we as volunteers and teachers um, get to experience here at church where the kids come up with some pretty amazing ideas and thoughts that you'll keep thinking about. So my hope is that that happens in our homes this month. And my my goal with this is just to make it as easy as possible. So I'm going to take just a little bit of time and go through this for those of you that got one um, so you have a better idea of how to use this. And then for those of you that didn't, maybe it's something you want to grab next month. So I'm going to go ahead and open it. So our theme this month is Be Still from Psalm 30. Be still and know that I am God. And our Bible story for the month is um, the story of Jesus calming the storm. So it all comes together. The hope is that the be still portion will just be kind of reminded every time we, we're talking about the story and going through these activities throughout the month. It's not necessarily a one-time thing. It's an entire month, so you can do it once a week. You can do it at mealtime. You can come up with ideas for um, throughout the week, whatever works best for your family. So at the top of our box is a letter to parents. Now this is going to have everything that's in the box, kind of why we do it, and it's going to repeat every month. So the main ideas will be every month, It'll, the theme will change and the story will change. So we first on this sheet have the teaching card. On the teaching card is all about the story. Now a lot of parents will do their own research, you can do your own way of teaching the story. But if I were to teach the story, or if I were to give this to my volunteers, this is what I would say. Here's something to say. I want you to read the story from the Bible or um, whatever children's Bible you love at your house. And then it kind of to bring it all together at the end. And then on the back of that card are different ways to tell the story. It's okay to tell the story more than once. Maybe you want to tell it once a week. And these are all kinds of fun ways to be able to tell your kids the story depending on your, the age and um, uh, where your kids are at as far as that. And then, of course, questions and ideas to have conversation around the story. Then throughout the week, we have some more verses on this um, bookmark. And you can do it at mealtime, at breakfast, maybe have the kids take turns reading a Bible, uh, verse, and they're all going to revolve around that, be still. And then on the back is the reflection on those verses. What are some things you can talk about around each verse? We have lots of activities because we also want it to be so fun. So to make it fun, I have the activities and almost all the activities have what you need inside this box. So lots of activities from games to snacks to crafts. And the crafts are kind of by age group. So depending on the age of your kids, I packed your box so that your kids would enjoy doing something at their level. 
Each month there is a verse that I would love for your kids to memorize, but you can use this verse however you would like. On, on the verse, or I should say on the back of the verse is also a prayer and some suckers if your kids memorize or however you want to use that because God's word is sweet. So we want to remind our kids that learning his word is sweet and useful and you'll always come back to it throughout your life. Then we have, let's see, I've got to follow this so I make sure I'm hitting everything. Um, the verse of the month, we have the prayer of the month, and then we have a share idea. And I shared this a couple weeks ago. Um, we want to hear from the kids, and I would love to hear how this theme and what they're learning is playing out in their day-to-day lives. And then this is also a part of our missions team. They want to collect information from our kids on how we can be doing missions really well here. And what skills and abilities do our kids have that they'd like to participate? So this is just a little questionnaire. We made it as easy as possible. There's an envelope to send it back. All you have to do is put a stamp on it and you're set to go. And we have each month will be a justice-related theme as well. And so this month it's on privilege and identity and we are basing it off of this book, The Day You Begin, which I read also kind of maybe a couple months ago now. And then families were offered, you could buy the book for $10. I got the bulk price. I do have about six left if anybody wants one. We can make that happen as well. And in the bottom of the box are questions, uh, tips for parents, how to lead those conversations on privilege and identity this month. So I hope that that is helpful and useful and you have really good conversation around that. And then we will also have some serve ideas each month, ways that your kids can be serving. Hang this on the fridge and maybe they can do everything on the list before the month is over. And then, I mean, this box is packed, but most of it is all items for the crafts, activities, of course, honey sticks. Maybe save that for our Zoom call and we can do communion together. Um, I mean, maybe some things you wish weren't in the box, like blue jello, because how fun is blue jello? It's water. There's origami. They can make a little boat and make the storm move. Um, so yeah, lots of fun things. And of course, no church box is complete without goldfish. So there's lots of goldfish. And I'm going to talk more about this in a minute, too. So that is kind of the main gist of the box. And I hope that you find that really useful. And I'm excited to hear about it, how, that, how, it, how it goes in your family and how we can keep making it better as each month goes on. All right, also today, Micah is talking about profit. So I'm going to do a very small um, intro to that for kids. And I want to start by asking kids, what is a profit? Who knows what a prophet is? At home, I want you to pause and just see what you can tell your parents about what a prophet is. I wish I could see your hands and hear what you have to say. A prophet, very simply put, I'm sure most of you said this, is someone who delivers God's message. Sometimes those messages are good and sometimes they're not so good. We don't love to hear them. Sometimes they're taught in person, sometimes they're written, sometimes they're preached. We find all kinds of examples in the Bible. Now, what do you think is the most important thing that a prophet does? The most important thing. See if you can answer that. I know what I would say. I think the most important thing a prophet does is to listen. And it's not always easy to listen, right? But if a, if a prophet isn't listening and connecting to God, 
they can't be sharing that message. They can't be a good messenger if they're not listening to God. How else would a prophet know what to tell the people? So I would say it's really important for a prophet to listen. Now, I know for me, it's not always easy to listen. I get thinking so much in my head, or I'm doing, 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 or I'm talking a lot and asking lots of questions and and saying lots of things that I forget to just be still, which comes back to our box theme this month. And I hope to keep bringing it back because part of learning about prophets is just being still and listening. In your box, there is a little, this is kind of the prayer activity and also a little bit like water. There's a water bottle with some glitter attached to it. One of our beautiful volunteers that packaged all this glitter. So thank you, Rachel. Now, I have two ways you can do that in your water bottle. You can just add the glitter, which actually I prefer, right? How beautiful is that? And then the way I explained, I maybe should have tried it before I wrote it out in there, is I put half oil, I put food coloring, and glitter, and that's this one. So two different ways to do it. But a thought with this, as we learn to listen and be still, is to shake it. And God wants to hear from us too, of course. So we can maybe talk to God while we're shaking it. But then we want to be sure that we're not always just talking. We're also listening. And as you listen and as you pray, you can watch that glitter settle to the bottom. And it actually takes a little while, not too long, but just to take time and sit and be still. So I hope this month these will be really helpful to calm yourself especially even if you're feeling worried or anxious, to take time and just to be with God and be still. And remember that if we're listening, God will speak to us. He might speak to us through, we might hear his voice in our heart or our mind, or he might be speaking to us from the people around us, right? Maybe our parents, maybe our teachers, maybe our pastors, maybe our neighbor. Maybe it's through books that you're reading that are about God or about uh, being still and being in his presence. So I just want you to be encouraged and to remember to take time this month to use this and to be still. And I look forward to hearing how this experiment works for you. Um, I would love to hear what you're learning from this box. And if you would ever like to come and share right here with me, oh, I would love it. I know our adults at Awaken and other kids would love to see your face and would love to hear how you're learning to be still or how you're learning more about God or just how you're doing. We would love it. So we look forward to hearing from you. I'm going to have Micah come back up here. Wow. Um, I want to church in the box. Mandy, that is some kind of package you've put together. Uh, I'm going to invite our good friend Kathy Solomon up, and um, if you are not aware, Kathy is the newest addition to the Awaken staff team, and so we wanted to take just a moment this morning to welcome her. Welcome. We're so excited that you're here. Thank you, Micah. I'm delighted to be here. And just a, a chance for uh, Kathy to share a little bit about who she is, and um, so maybe just a couple of questions. Um, Give us the, you know, the details, the things everyone want to know. Who are you? Are you married? Do you have kids? Where do you live? That kind of thing. Right. The stats card of Kathy Solomon. <laughs> uh, yes, we live in the area. We live a little bit north of St. Paul and in the town of Centerville and enjoy, I call it our naturehood okay. as, as well as our neighborhood. 
And um, I've been inspired recently by a memoir I'm reading from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. And she refers to her husband as her life partner. Okay. I have a life partner of 33 years now, Jeff. And we have three kids of our own. And um, then they're plus ones. The, the, the top plus one, our daughter and her husband, married in 2016. And then our other two kids have their plus ones. So we've gone from a family of five to a family of eight. Okay. Yes. Very good. Um, and you are the, the new director of community life, which includes really overseeing life groups and the connections process, like new people getting connected to Awaken. So I guess uh, a question I'd, I'd love for you to think about or share a little bit about is, um, what is community to you? Uh, and maybe just reflect a little bit about that, that w which will be a central part of your job. Um, what does it mean to you? Yes, what does community mean? You know, Mike, as I've thought about this, that word, there can be different layers to it. You know, initially you think of, oh, the community I live in. You know, we have our community rec shirts mm. that identify us of where we live or the sports teams that our kids were on. And I thought with Awakened, I really feel that there's this sense of we're community around our values mm -hmm. and our vision. As we had our first Zoom gathering yesterday, it was wonderful to hear what people missed, mm -hmm. you know, of, of things about our identity, our values. So there's the sense here of we're community around our faith and primarily around Jesus Christ, the well. Um, and yet then that, that plays out in, in different ways, not only of that idea of mm -hmm. community, but our experience of community. And I think of the first month that we came and started to be part of Awaken and the woman down the row who reached out to me and said, let's go back and light a candle hmm. for one of our children um, that we had, as we met, both knew that could hmm. use some light in their life. So we went back and, and did that. So it's not only this idea, but this, it's an experience yeah. of how we experience community together. And I can think of multiple ways of how we've, it's, again, not the idea, but just an ex, it's right. an experience. It's right. a living out right. as well of yeah. community. And I also want to add in that the, the job is the director of community life. Yeah. So not only is it community, mm -hmm. but it's, it's life. Yeah. It's that we're choosing life compared to choosing death, thinking of Moses mm -hmm. as he is giving his final kind of words to the community. And uh, not that I necessarily have a life verse, but mm -hmm. probably in my top 10, I hold to that Jesus came so that we might have life and mm -hmm. that we might have life to the full yeah. or life abundantly. So let's have community. Mm -hmm. I'm here to help foster that. Yeah. And it's so that we're alive yeah. and that we are living and just more than kind of holding the space. Yeah. Well. Kathy, I think on behalf of the staff and the leadership team, we're just so excited um, that you're joining our team. And we actually wanted to do this before we sang uh, what we typically call the kids' blessing, um, something we sing over our kids. But as we thought about this morning, um, I'd love for, I'd like to invite our community to sing this not only over our kids, but over you as you start this new job. May God give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, so let's go ahead and do that again if you'd lead us.
God give you eyes to see all that is good, all that is good. The courage for anything. May you be strong, may you be strong. May God give you ears to hear His loving voice, His loving voice speaking all. Well, thank you, Dan. Um, this morning, friends, we start a new series. We just finished up a series on live, serve, and gather around our values and kind of who we want to be as a church. And so today we start a new series that will walk us all the way to Advent. I know it's hard. I can't believe I'm even saying that, but that's coming next, uh, the beginning of the church calendar, November 29th. And um, the series is called The Prophets Among Us, and we're going we're gonna to walk through essentially the biblical prophets, uh, those who are in the Bible who either have a book, uh, a prophetic book, or were prophets uh, thinking about like Elisha or Elijah uh, and others. And um, in some ways, prophecy has ceased, as they say, uh, sort of the, the, the traditional role of the prophet has maybe stopped uh, in some ways, but I think the work and the role of the prophet is as important today as it was 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel. Um, I want us as a church to become familiar with the voices and the passion and the, path, the pathos of the prophets, like these people who spoke on behalf of God to the people. Um, in a world where, you know, everybody has an opinion about something and people are in this season demanding that you make a choice about that opinion, are you on this side or are you on that side, can we hear the voices of those who speak on behalf of the divine? Can we tune our hearts and ourselves and our ears into the tune that is the melody of the kingdom of God that Jesus comes to bring and offer to us? Um, can we recognize a person's voice who's deeply embedded in the divine life, in what God is up to and about? And I think, <clears throat> in some ways, the danger is when we start talking about the prophets, it, it, it often goes one of two ways. Either we sort of um, move with the religious conservatives and prophecy becomes all about the future. It becomes almost not fortune-telling, but like future-telling. It's about predictions, and ultimately it's about Jesus, right? We've all seen the bumper stickers. Many of us have read the books. Um, the prophets sort of predicted the future, and that future was ultimately about Jesus, ultimately about the end times and Jesus' return. And, or we move with sort of the religious liberals, in which case, uh, you know, and, and minimize the voice of the prophet to the here and the now. It's all about social action. It's about social justice. It's about here and right now. And, and there our focus becomes so temporal, so zoomed in on the individual tree in the forest that we forget about the grand vision, the, the imagination really of, of an eschaton, of a kingdom coming that Jesus inaugurates by his death and resurrection and ensures by, by, by his resurrection. And so, in a world that's often polarized, no surprise to anybody, as your pastor, I want to invite you not to, to move towards one of those two poles as we think about the prophets, either future or, you know, only now, but rather to sort of live in this tension of, 
uh, to be proficient in dialectics. Dialectics is like the, the discourse between two opposing ideas or two opposing positions. And so not to lose sight of the future and the imagination that the kingdom um, that Jesus brings in, in offering the kingdom, and also not to lose sight of the here and now and the impact that you know, our choices and the things that we say or do have on the people are most vulnerable around us right here and right now. So today what I want to do is sort of an introduction. As I started this sermon, we were going to start with Jeremiah, and I said to Mel and, and uh, Jenna and, and Mandy this week, I was like, I think I have two sermons in one, and that never goes well. <laughs> I've been doing this long enough. So I said, let's split those two up. So we're just going to introduce the prophets this morning, because I want to get a sense of, like, who are these people? And um, when did they preach? When did they, when did they say anything? Or, or when were they around in history? Uh, what kinds of people are they? What made them unique? And so we're going to keep coming back to this, this definition that um, a, a guy named Walter Brueggemann in a book called The Prophetic Imagination offers. And this is going to be something that I think I, I'm going to come back to over and over, not just today, but also in this series. And it's this. Brueggemann argues that the prophet is one who is nurturing, nourishing, and evoking a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. We'll come back to that. But that is a key that I think really gets at what, who were the prophets then, but who are the prophets now? And throughout this series, we're, we're going to engage some of our artists, because I think in some ways the artist... Uh, lives into this role that uh, is so deftly put in this definition of people who are challenging maybe the dominant culture or perceptions or imaginations around us. Um, so here we go, friends. Um, who are the prophets or who were the prophets? So let's start there. Uh, there are two classifications in the Bible of prophets. There are minor prophets and there are major prophets. Uh, the four major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, some can uh, put in there also the book of Lamentations because the, the belief is that Jeremiah wrote it. Um, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, and Daniel. These are the four major prophets. The minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now on your screens you're going to see a picture uh, it's sort of a graph. It's not the best graph in the entire world, but it will help kind of um, lay the landscape of who the prophets were. So on the very bottom, uh, you have time, starting in 850 B.C., going to about 425 B.C. That's sort of when prophecy ceased, as it were, in the Bible. Just above that, you have a red line, which is the, uh, I think that's the southern, uh, the northern kingdom, um, two kingdoms in Israel, and the blue line is the, uh, the southern kingdom. Uh, I, I think that's right. But either way, they're the two, kingdom of Is two kingdoms of Israel. And then above that, you have the prophets. So on the far left, you have Jonah and Joel and Amos, the first of the prophets, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah. And as time moves on, you get into Zephaniah, um, Habakkuk, Obadiah, and Jeremiah, which will start next week. And then following that, Haggai, Zechariah, all the way to Malachi, who's the last of the prophets. And in there, you can see some of the, the key events of history of the fall of Babylon, the destruction of Jerusalem, the fall of this, of, of uh, Samaria. So that just gives you kind of a sense of like who, when, when were these people on the landscape of history and what were some of their names and how were they connected to Israel? So hopefully that's helpful. Um, you can look those kinds of things up on Google, timeline of the prophets, but that's just a little bit about who these people were. Now, th these are the books of the Bible that were prophets, but of course there were others who were prophets. Elijah, Elisha, you have Huldah, um, Nathan, Deborah, Miriam, Jesus, and others. We're not going to get to everybody, but we're going to get a few of those key figures in there. 
Uh, the word prophet in Hebrew is the word navi, and that means, uh, comes from the root word to like bubble up or bubble forth, almost like a fountain. Another definition has these, this idea of someone who's under the influence of someone, in this case, the divine or God's voice. Uh, in Greek, it comes from two words, which means beforehand or prior to, and sort of elevating one idea over the other. So it's like before the idea or prior, beforehand, elevating this idea or kind of making it known. So a prophet is somebody who is under the influence of the divine word. They are uh, a, a sort of bubbling forth from God that which God wants to say or that which we need to hear. Um, now, in the time we have remaining, as I've been thinking about and reading about and sort of studying the prophets and reading those who have studied and written about the prophets, I, I want to highlight four words or four ideas that begin to describe who these people were and like w what kind of people they were. Uh, you could probably argue for some others, but these are four that I seem that, that seem to be pretty uh, pretty spot on as I have been reading and studying the prophets. So the first of which uh, is sensitive. These are a sensitive lot of people. Uh, when most people of consequence in the ancient world were thinking about philosophy and metaphysics and thinking Plato and Aristotle, the prophets were raging on about the poor and the widow and the orphan and the alien and the vulnerable. Um, they had a sensitivity to suffering and injustice. They were like keenly aware of these things. They were tuned into the smallest breaks and breaches in the fabric of God's good world. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who I've been reading a lot of, writes this. He says, to the prophets, even a minor injustice assumes cosmic proportion. But if, and then he goes on to say, but if such sensitivity to evil is to be called hysterical, what name should be given to the abysmal indifference to evil which the prophet bewails? Which he's saying essentially, yeah, they were sensitive people and they were tripped by the smallest of triggers, but what does that say about all the ways in which the masses are not tripped by all, all the triggers of injustice and oppression that are happening all around them that the prophet is railing against? Uh, growing up, I was often referred to as the sensitive one of my brothers and I. Um, my grandma was keenly aware of this, she told me before she, uh, of blessed memory. But I would get upset about like the smallest of things and get so worked up about small things. You could probably talk to my mom to confirm this, but maybe I was living up to my namesake. You know, my name's Micah. I was a prophet. I was a sensitive kid. Um, I don't know that I was concerned about the things the prophets were concerned about. My concerns were more like, you know, who had the most Halloween candy or why didn't I get that thing or why was I left out of this game. But um, I was sensitive to the world around me. And the prophets, these folks were very sensitive. They were tuned in to injustice and oppression, to the poor and the vulnerable. Um, and quite frankly, I think we could use a bit more of that in our day and age. Uh, we've in, I think in many ways we become anesthetized to injustice and to the things that are happening all around us. We watch the news and we see over and over again all the time people who, um, elected officials who either aren't telling the whole truth or blatantly lie or um, spin things in certain ways. On all sides, I was having a conversation with my brother the other day. We were talking about politics and he's like, they're crooks, every last one of them, right and left. And I thought to myself, why don't we demand more, right? Like we become so anesthetized to less than true statements or half-truths that we just think, oh yeah, that's normal. That's what politicians do. That's what elected officials do. They don't tell all the truth. And it's like, it doesn't bother us anymore. Like we don't demand more from people who hold offices. And I think that's a testimony to our 
anesthesia in some ways, our numbness. And the prophets were not numb. They were not anesthetized. They were acutely aware of oppression and of, of lies, of, of inconsistencies, of hypocrisy, and they called it out. So they were indignant and overly excited because of their sensitivity to God's intention and God's heart. The second thing I'll say about the prophets is really uh, an image I want you to consider, and it's of stained glass, right? I'm sitting in a sanctuary filled with stained glass. And I want to suggest that the prophets are a bit like stained glass. They are this beautiful mixture of flesh and spirit, uh, sort of the word of God and the word of humanity. In a stained glass window, there is the glass itself, but then there's the image that's created or the message that's offered. And then there's the light, right, that that sort of makes it appear. So the prophet is so connected to and so close to the divine heart that the message comes bursting forth from their lips, but arguably they are not the light. They are not the image being shown by the light. They are the glass. They are the window through which the light shines and the message becomes clear. <clears throat> and I think this is the wonder in some ways, the mystery of God is portrayed in the Bible and, and shown to us in Jesus. God is like uh, interested in human relations. <laughs> by that I mean God seems to advance their agenda of love in and through humans. Heschel says the prophet is a person, not a microphone right? These were not, um, in, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Inanimate objects that God just picked up and spoke through. No, these were men and women, people with passion and stories. And so it is the word of God reverberated in the voice of man, Heschel says. And I think that is a perfect picture of it. <clears throat> so in the prophet, we hear what God thinks. We know what God feels. We become subject to the divine heart. Insofar as the prophet is attuned to what God would say, we are attuned to what God would say. If the prophet speaks for and on behalf of God, then it would follow that any injustice, any overlooking of the poor, any misuse of power is the utmost concern for God because it was the utmost concern for the prophet. God is not aloft in heaven. God is not far off, distant somewhere, concerned with grand and cosmic things. If, if, if the prophet speaks for God, then we know that God is intimately concerned with the plight of the poor and the vulnerable and those on the margins and on the edges. I love this about the prophets. We see the passion and the light, the anger, the sadness of God. And the message of God's unfailing love and hope for his relationship comes through the glass of the prophet. They put us in touch with, they show us what God thinks and feels and what it's like to be in relationship with humans. In Jeremiah, which we'll study next week, we see this wrestling happen between, uh, with, in God, where God is, you know, essentially saying that he has, God has made God's self available to, to Israel and sort of married them. He says, I've espoused you. You are my partner. And there's this deep love. And then in another chapter, God is saying how, should I not bring judgment upon these people? And there's this wrestling between God's faithfulness and God's justice, as it were, in this case. So we see this in the prophet. Uh, they become the glass through which the light of God, the passion of God, the, the, the heart of God shines through and the message becomes clear. So they're sensitive, they're stained glass. These are invested people. By that I mean they're, they're the real deal. They do not live up in mansions on the hill and come down the hill to say their word and then back up to their mansions where they're safe and secure. No, the prophets are the people, friends. Uh, any word of judgment that the prophet offers Israel, they offer to themselves because they are a part of the people. 
Heschel says he is not the prophet. He is not only what he says, or he is one, not only with what he says, he's involved with his people and what his words foreshadow. This is the secret of the prophet's style. His life and soul are at stake in what he says. This summer, there has been all kinds of debate about policing in our country and in our, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And the debate is about where do cops live? And there's one camp that says that cops maybe shouldn't live in the communities that they police because there's a conflict of interest, perhaps. And then there's a whole other category of people who say, no, cops should live in the neighborhoods they police in. Because then any action or inaction they take directly affects them and their families as much as it does the families that live in that neighborhood or that community. Essentially, the argument is that they should be invested in the communities that they police in, that they serve, that they protect. The prophets did not live in ivory towers. They did not cross the tracks to come and deliver a message and then go back to wherever it is they lived. No, they lived among the people. They sent their kids to the public school. They played on the softball teams. They sat at the end of the bars, people. They were invested, and because of that, there was a credibility to what they had to say because they knew, and the people who listened, and, and we now know, that whatever they said included themselves. It wasn't a message for somebody else that didn't include them. It was a message that they included themselves in. And so there was a trustworthiness because they were affected by it. I mean, what, what would it look like if this were more indicative of the leaders in our communities? That they were invested in the things that they led in such a way that whatever happened affected them and their family as well. I think that's, I would argue for that. Uh, which leads me to one final thought as it relates to the prophet. And the eights of Awaken are going to love this. The prophet's words were very sharp. They were not very interested in um, candy coating or uh, uh, lessening the, the blow of the words that they spoke. Uh, just recently, I came back from a trip out west and went fly fishing near the Grand Tetons. If you've never seen the Tetons, I would, and you ever get the chance, make that trip. I've seen a number of mountains in the United States. I've been to other countries and I've seen mountains. I haven't seen the Alps. I imagine they're similar to that. But the Tetons in America, they seem to come up out of nowhere. They are sharp and craggy and rugged and, uh, I mean, they're just foreboding. They, they, they're, they're, there's a valley, the Snake River Valley, and then out, seemingly out of nowhere, these peaks, these giant peaks just shoot out of the ground. And I think in some ways, uh, they're drastic. They're kind of bombastic. They, uh, they arrest you when you see them. And these are the prophets. Uh, the words that they spoke, they're not interested in subtle, gradual rises to the place that they want to speak from. They come at you and they come hard, which is why I think um, eights often like prophets. They intend to shock you and arrest you and um, they're not interested in well-crafted rhetoric or consoling the hearer. No, um, Isaiah says that the prophet is a sharp sword or a polished arrow from the quiver of God. So as we think about the prophets and as we begin this series in, uh, of exploring these people, it's, it's helpful for us to know this is a sensitive group of people who... Um, uh, who, who act a bit like stained glass, where they're not the light, they're not actually the message, but they are the, the means by which the message comes, or the light, the passion, the hope, the, 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 the anger, the justice of God comes through. 
Uh, these were invested people. They were, they were, there's a level of authenticity and skin in the game for the prophets that make them trustworthy. And they do seek to shock and arrest. Uh, the language that they use is alarming. And I think it's because often they're attempting to wake up a group of people who may have been asleep. They're attempting to bring from slumber God's people who were invited to live in a certain way and be a certain kind of people in the world. And in some ways, the prophet comes and says, that's not happening. And you're not living up to your fullest potential. We are not living up to our fullest potential as the people of God. And so, uh, we'll close this morning where we began. And that's with this definition that Brueggemann offers. The prophet, him or herself, or a community steeped in prophetic ministry, the preacher who has a prophetic imagination are people in communities who nurture, nourish, evoke a consciousness and a perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. These are people who have an imagination, uh, a different way of thinking, and a different way of seeing, a consciousness and a perception that is alternative that is, uh, stands at odds with maybe the dominant culture around us. And so I guess I, I want to leave us with that question this morning. What are the messages of the dominant cultures that we live in? What are the messages of the mainstream media, whether it be right or left, blue or red? What are the messages and, and the, the invitations that we're receiving as humans who are watching and consuming? As we enter an election season, um, what's the dominant culture saying about the way forward? And what does it mean to be to listen to the prophets who had a different kind of imagination, a different kind of, uh, of, of thinking, and a different way of seeing, an alternative way of thinking and seeing the world that we live in? And what does it mean for us as people who hear the words of the prophet, but then are we listening to the prophets among us, the prophets around us? Who are the people who are offering alternative ways of thinking and seeing that are consistent with the thinking and seeing of Jesus, this one that we say we follow. That is the, the task of the prophet, and that, I hope, is what is the fruit of this series for us, that we begin to imagine and see an alternative way of being human in the world that is consistent with the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ, whom the prophets are often pointing towards. So that's the invitation, friends. Let me offer a word of prayer, and we'll move towards the table together. God, as we take just a few moments of silence to prepare our hearts, not only for this series, uh, as we think and listen to the prophets who, uh, who wrote and who spoke to the ancient Israelites, but also those who are around us and among us, who maybe are in tune with and connected to the heart of God and are speaking words of encouragement or affirmation or challenge. But I pray that as we move towards this table, and we prepare our hearts for uh, receiving this good gift that you would challenge us and invite us to move towards what it means to be your people. So, Holy Spirit, speak to us now, I pray.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he took bread <clears throat> and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of this meal, whenever you break this bread or bread like it, remember me. <clears throat> and then in the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is a cup, a new covenant written in my blood. And whenever you drink of it, uh, do it in remembrance of me. Don't forget the things that I've taught you and the ways in which you have seen me interact and live and, and think and see in the world. Um, that's what this meal brings you back to. So remember it. So this table is the table not of the church but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or you who have little faith, you who have been here often or not have been here for a very long time, uh, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, not because I invite you as your pastor or the church invites you, but because the risen, resurrected Christ invites you to come and be fed and be known here at the table. So as you take the bread, I invite you to hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. And as you take the cup, I'd invite you to hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Now before we close this morning and offer a benediction to you, uh, we want to sing one last song together. And um, this is a song that asks a really haunting question, which is, will we ever rise? Will, will the gap between who we are and who we should be um, ever be closed? Will it ever... Uh, and, and I think that's an honest question. And it's one that the prophets were, were asking um, and shining a light on. Uh, so I'd invite you to listen, to sing um, as this song as a, as a prayer. Um, God, would you do a work in us that we would rise, that there would be more light and less darkness, that there would be healing and wholeness. So let's sing this together. Open up our hearts, 
Love is breaking us, love remaking us. Come heal now, take away the blindness so we can see as we were meant to see. I feel light, devastated darkness. For I can see another day come. Oh, I can see another day come. Broken people, we can be made whole. Friends, before you go, um, and I give a benediction for this morning. Um, yeah, I, I really hope and I pray that this series uh, does something in us um, over the next eight weeks or so as we lean into these voices of the prophets who had sharp words to say at times, but even next week as we start with Jeremiah, there is an underlying thread of hope that comes through in the prophet that says, while you might be wandering right now, God is faithful and always has been and always will be. So come back. Um, so I hope that as we walk this journey that um, we're shaped and we're, we're changed we're invited to step more and more as a community and as individuals into the heart of God for uh, our neighborhoods and uh, the communities that we find ourselves in. So <clears throat> I'm looking forward to the series and I'm trusting that the Spirit will lead us in it. Um, so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. 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 Grace and peace, friends. We'll see you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakening community or on Twitter at awakening community.